You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast for July 2021. It is hot and smoky from wildfires in my neck of the woods, which explains my sometimes gravelly voice, while other places around the world are underwater. My bets are on climate change as the biggest, most pressing threat to human health these days, not to mention the health of the planet. But the focus of the podcast today is myocarditis. Oh, some of you are rolling your eyes, but others have turned up the volume. For sure, the very rare cases of actual myocarditis cropping up after COVID-19, or at least some shadowy hints of damage seen on cardiac MRI, were big newsmakers earlier in the pandemic. Now it's myocarditis appearing after mRNA vaccination in young people, young men in particular. Like you, I bet, when I first saw these case reports, I thought, oh no, the last thing the world needs is another reason for people to be scared of vaccines. But how do we weigh this very rare side effect of vaccination seen primarily among people who don't get severely ill with COVID-19, alongside the risks of not only hospitalizations and deaths, but long-lasting and sometimes subclinical damage from a COVID-19 infection itself? Cardiologists want to know. Earlier this month, Dr. B. Kim Boskert and colleagues at Baylor College of Medicine wrote a very timely review summarizing the evidence to date, covering the prevalence, mechanisms, and clinical management of this vaccine reaction. Dr. Boskert is the immediate past president of the Heart Failure Society of America and a senior associate editor at Circulation, where this paper was published. I spoke with Dr. Boskert for the story I wrote for TCTMD last week, and she kindly agreed to speak with me a second time for this podcast. Thank you so much for being on the Heart Sounds podcast. It's uh, always a pleasure to get to do these one-on-ones. We have been hearing about myocarditis with the mRNA vaccines, and even before that, people concerned about myocarditis with COVID-19 itself. What prompted you at this time to do a deep dive in circulation, which is, which is where your paper appeared? Thank you, Shelley, for that introduction. Uh, the reasons were to provide a comprehensive review compiling all the cases reported to date, which in my paper is summarized as 61 case reports, and uh, provide a deeper dive into potential mechanisms by which the mRNA vaccines may be associated or resulting in myocarditis, and also compile the population-based data, both from CDC, Israel, and the US military, to provide a better perspective on benefit which far exceeds that of the risk for the clinicians as well as the general population. Right. It's interesting to, to hear that 61 cases, it's really not that many when you think about what um, a big news story this has been, certainly on TCTMD um, and elsewhere as well. What does, I know this is quite a bit to summarize, and I would hope that people would go and read your paper itself, but what does the emerging data suggest in terms of age groups, timing, risks, how well people recover, all of those sorts of things. It's a lot to answer, but sort of sum it up for us. Absolutely, Shelley. So first and foremost, it's rare. The CDC data suggests that uh, the risk uh, is about 12.6 per 1 million vaccination. And actually, the Israel data and the U.S. military data uh, very much supports this, somewhere between 10 to 12 cases per million vaccinations. 
And from the randomized clinical trials with the vaccines, actually the cardiovascular side effects or serious adverse events were very low. Thus, the uh, risk, uh, if you look at the number of patients who have been vaccinated year to date, which is approximately 180 million in the United States, uh, the risk that has been compiled by CDC is quite low. The presentation is usually with chest pain, um, approximately two to three days after the vaccination, usually after the second vaccination, and predominantly described in younger males um, between the ages of 16 to 18 being the highest, but overall uh, between age, ages 12 to 39, there appears to be a higher risk than the general population with the mRNA vaccines. The symptom of chest pain, if present, uh, usually being present on day you know, two or three, subsides. By day four and five, most patients were asymptomatic and were ready to be discharged. And uh, the presentation usually was accompanied with abnormal biomarkers, uh, specifically troponin uh, on presentation being abnormal in almost all of the case reports published to date and uh, EKG being abnormal in most with ST elevations. And cardiac MRI, when performed, was abnormal in all of those case reports. And uh, again, the resolution of symptoms were accompanied by resolution of these biomarkers, as well as imaging findings, suggesting that this is a very self-limited, quite mild presentation with myocarditis and has not been associated with death and or severe illness uh, requiring ICU stay or advanced cardiac therapy such as pump support. So it is not a myocarditis that is uh, fulminant and or hemodynamically unstable. And all patients were able to be discharged within four days, four to five days. And this is seen not only in the US, but also in the Israel database too. So overall, a mild form of myocarditis that's self-limited that resolves within a couple of days. And this is seen in a very small percentage of patients. Male predominance, which is a known fact uh, regarding myocarditis, even historically before the uh, COVID vaccination, even in the experimental data, we do know that there is male predominance with myocarditis and there is uh, definitely hypothesized mechanisms related to testosterone, sex hormones, uh, creating a pro-inflammatory milieu, resulting in a higher prevalence of uh, higher incidence of myocarditis in males, especially in younger males compared to older males or females. That's so interesting because it is this narrow window in terms of age and then the, the male predominance. I would love for people to go in and check out the paper to understand the mechanisms and, and really get that detailed information. But can you give a little bit of an overview? What types of things could possibly be responsible for this association? So we don't know the exact mechanism, but some of the hypothesized mechanisms include molecular mimicry with a spike protein and self-antigens and experimentally the antibodies against spike protein has been also shown to cross-react with alpha-myosin, which is very interesting. We don't know this uh, from the human studies yet, but is quite intriguing. Second um, is potentially autoantibody formation. This has been seen in one of the case reports where the autoantibodies were at a higher percentage in that case compared to other individuals um, that had presented around the same time frame without myocarditis, 
post-COVID vaccination or with COVID-19 infection itself. So compared to those, in that case, the autoantibodies were quite high on day two. The interesting thing is they didn't come down with resolution of symptoms, suggesting that this may be a predisposition rather than the sort of a temporal association with development of um, myocarditis. So this individual may have had that as baseline, or uh, it may be an outcome of inflammation itself. So we don't know whether this is the cause or the outcome. The third concept is the innate immune response to mRNA. Experimentally, historically, mRNAs, when they were first envisioned to be therapy for cancer and or other um, autoimmune disorders, when injected, usually did not even have a chance to be able to translate and produce the protein because the body would recognize this something as foreign and would attack and actually eliminate the mRNA. And that's, that innate response was a barrier to be able to translate the mRNA and actually was overcome by a very uh, transformative, innovative approach by doing modification in the nucleocapsid coding component. And thus, these modified mRNAs reduce its antigenicity for the body to not attack the mRNA with the innate immune response, allowing the mRNA to be translated to produce the spike protein to which the antibody is to be formed. So one concept is maybe in certain individuals that modification did not actually result in reduced innate immunity of a general reaction to mRNA. And of course, the fourth hypothesis is potentially related to the sex hormones, as I alluded to, recognizing the predisposition of the male uh, gender to a higher prevalence of myocarditis and knowing that testosterone is pro-inflammatory. So currently, that is um, a concept that is uh, being observed quite uh, closely from the public health epidemiology perspective, and I think awaits further research. The things that we did not see that we were uh, contemplating as potential mechanisms is hypersensitivity, like allergic reaction. Delayed hypersensitivity, though, could be seen in skin at the vaccination site, was not a feature. Um, there were no eosinophils. Um, there were no description of eosinophilic infiltrates in biopsies. Other things that were not seen is a cytokine surge syndrome, like we saw with COVID-19. The pro-inflammatory cytokines were not storming and uh, these patients were not in shock state. One other thing that we didn't see is uh, the microangiopathic thrombotic complications that were seen with some other adenovirus vector vaccines that were associated with clots. These were not seen in any of these cases. So there were no thrombotic events and no microangiopathy. And there was also no evidence of COVID-19 infection or any other viral uh, infections that may be causing the myocarditis, all of the case reports that checked for other viruses were negative for other you know, enteroviruses, adenovirus, RSV, and, and of course, COVID-19 itself. Genetic predisposition was checked in one case uh, report by checking for the gene panel known to cause dilated cardiomyopathies, and that gene panel was negative, suggesting that not the classical um, genetic predisposition may be playing a role, but we cannot rule out these individuals having dysregulated baseline immune reactivity. And thus, that's one of the other prevailing potential mechanisms. 
I mean, it's pretty incredible the in-depth look that uh, not just your paper, but the researchers all over the world are doing to try to get on top of this because, as I said, it's made headlines. It's been alarming. There's been a lot of discussion around the need to vaccinate, especially young people who are having very asymptomatic COVID-19 infections. We have talked about how this seems to be quite self-limiting. No one has died of this to date. What are the sort of take-homes for managing this clinically? How, are, how is this being treated in the hospital? And if this is such a, a sort of minor case of myocarditis for most affected young people, is it possible that there's actually a, a much larger number of people that have had this? A very important point. So there could be underreporting currently, and these uh, are mainly the recognized cases that presented the hospital or individuals who have reported to the vaccine adverse event reporting. And if we look at the chest pain reporting in the VAERS or vaccine adverse event reporting at CDC, the chest pain uh, reports are higher than the presumed or confirmed myocarditis cases by the CDC. But at the same time, we do know that the hospitals are not full of people with chest pain because chest pain is not a symptom that most people will just disregard. And it's one of those symptoms. It's not like a low-grade muscle ache and or a fever. Thus, probably underreporting is not as much as other constitutional symptoms. That's just an hypothesis on our part. But of course, prospectively following all vaccinated individuals and checking for subclinical markers of myocardial injury with troponin and or imaging is awaiting for further validation after the vaccinations. We've known this for COVID, right? COVID-19 infection itself was associated with myocardial injury in about 12 to 20% of the hospitalized patients. Then we started looking at asymptomatic and individuals who were uh, post-discharge and tried to come up with some other subclinical features, which uh, ended up being different in different populations. So that will need to be tested in mRNA vaccines as well. Going back to your question about treatment, because it's so self-limited for those individuals, first thing is awareness of this side effect. So when individuals present with chest pain to the emergency room, it's pertinent for the clinicians to do EKG and cardiac enzymes. And if those are normal, and of course, depending on the presentation age, as well as risk profile, the hemodynamic stability, the rhythm, uh, the blood pressure, and the remainder of the clinical scenario, um, if it's very self-limited and if it doesn't require an admission, these individuals can potentially be followed. But most individuals with chest pain, ongoing chest pain, or EKG abnormalities, or cardiac troponin abnormality will require admission to the hospital with cardiology involvement. And a significant proportion of these will end up having further cardiac imaging by echocardiography and or cardiac MRI. In those individuals who are not improving and or with ongoing symptoms, of course, consideration for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications or colchicine for more advanced cases with ongoing symptoms and or with further features suggesting severity of illnesses, steroids, IV steroids, and even intravenous uh, immunoglobulin can be considered. And again, these are anecdotal. These are what we know from other myocarditis, and there hasn't been any prospective studies um, about treatment strategies with myocarditis with mRNA vaccines. The things to keep in mind, so far there has not been any reports for hemodynamically unstable myocarditis cases, but if that is recognized, of course, cardiology involvement, as well as consideration for supportive therapies beyond what I have listed as medications will need to be considered. 
so much to go through here and I really appreciate you summing all of it up for me. I'm wondering, I'm just picturing cardiologists out for dinner with all of their friends and family hearing these news reports about this. We've been afraid of COVID-19 for the better part of a year and a half and, and really encouraging people to get vaccinated. Can you help put this in perspective for clinicians, the risk of this rare myocarditis reaction versus COVID-19 itself? Very important. Number one, the COVID-19 infection itself is associated with death, hospitalizations, comorbidities, and even cardiac involvement in all age groups, in pediatric, in young adolescents, uh, in young adults, as well as all ages. And that burden uh, results in death, even in ages 12 to 17, uh, all the way to uh, older age groups. Thus, the benefits significantly outweighs the small, mild risk of myocarditis seen with mRNA vaccines that is very self-limited, that resolves on its own in most of the cases. And it should be kept in mind, the prevention of hospitalization and death is also very valuable in younger populations in whom we also see a syndrome called multisystem inflammatory syndrome, MISC, which is quite serious, can be deadly, can have sequelae, and is very concerning even in the pediatric population. So the benefits significantly outweigh the risk. And keep in mind, currently we're dealing with a Delta variant. The efficacy of the vaccines are quite effective after the second dose uh, to even the Delta variant does, it's critical more than ever when we see these variants surging in the, uh, in the populations for everybody to encourage vaccination um, and uh, to uh, do the other appropriate safeguards for uh, distancing as well as uh, masking. And I think these are gonna be as important for prevention of death, hospitalizations, as well as cardiovascular complications with COVID-19 itself. You know, we often, when it comes to COVID-19, we're always talking about deaths and hospitalizations with the vaccination reaction that we're seeing with myocarditis. We're talking about something more mild, but I'm wondering, it's not just deaths and hospitalizations. We have so many young people who recovered even from asymptomatic infections who are now dealing with so-called long COVID. And so surely that's also something to put in perspective. We don't know the long-term risks potentially of vaccination, but surely we don't know the long-term risk of an asymptomatic or mild COVID-19 infection either. This is so critical, Shelley, because um, the long COVID, long-haul COVID, so far has been defined by symptoms symptoms of fatigue, not being able to do the activities one does. But when we look at the, uh, even the subclinical asymptomatic individuals, you may have heard this, the individuals who had had uh, cardiac MRI, uh, even the young athletes, uh, the prevalence of having an abnormal imaging among those who recovered from COVID or among those who are mildly symptomatic or asymptomatic COVID ranges somewhere from one to 3% of the young athletes to all the way to 60%. So different studies have deported different prevalences and quite a few of these individuals were asymptomatic. Now, what does this mean? We are just at the beginning of trying to figure out the long-term effects on organs and overall body's adaptability and symptoms. We do know a significant proportion of the patients have symptoms. We also are recognizing there are subclinical abnormalities in some 
when tested by MRI, cardiac MRI, we see findings. This may be in a small proportion, but it still will need to be determined as to how long are these effects going to remain? What kind of safeguards we need to do, such as when to go back to play or resuming sports in individuals who are active are to be all determined with further research. There's just so much unknown, and I think that uh, many clinicians and others will really appreciate being able to see the, the way you've tied up much of the information on myocarditis for them. And I certainly appreciate you walking me through so much of this today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Shelley. That's it for the Heart Sounds podcast this month. A search of myocarditis on TCTMD will pull up my coverage of Dr. Boskert's paper, as well as many of the case series reported to date. We've also been busy covering several meetings. Yael Maxwell was virtually attending the SCCT conference where she got the lowdown on what's expected for CT imaging in the long-awaited ACC AHA chest pain guidelines now promised for late summer or early fall. TCTMD reporter Todd Neal, wait for it, got on an honest-to-goodness plane to cover the TVT meeting in Miami. Weirdly normal is, I think, how Todd described being back at an in-person conference. Find news from both those meetings under the conference tab on TCTMD and check back, because this time next month we'll be in the thick of the European Society of Cardiology Congress, albeit from the comfort of our home offices yet again. Sign up for our newsletter to make sure you don't miss a beat. That is easily done at the bottom of the homepage at tctmd.com. Many thanks to the TCTMD news team for a top-notch work day in, day out, and to Dan Goodman for producing this podcast. Stay cool out there or stay dry, stay safe, and bye for now. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.